Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I'm excited. I think it's an incredible Sunday to, to be together. I think that Easter is such uh, an important time of year, which is probably a good thing, yeah? It'd be a little bit disconcerting if I was like, hey, uh, I don't know about Easter, I don't reckon it's that important. Be a bit of a concerning thing for a guy with a microphone on Resurrection Sunday to say. So I'm glad that we're in the camp of thinking that it's, uh, it's an important day. But I don't know about you, Easter can kind of, it can come and go pretty quick, can't it? Does anyone else find that? Like you've got, you've got a holiday weekend, you've got another holiday weekend, you kind of, it's just one of the many long weekends. You kind of, if, if you're not careful, you stop thinking about what Easter is about and you start thinking about your next holiday. There's nothing wrong with holidays, but I just think kind of in the time of year and in the, the rhythms of the world, it can, can quickly get overshadowed with everything else that's going on, which is why I think it's so important that we find ourselves, and none of you found yourself, you intentionally put yourself in the room or online, however you join us today, in this space to reflect on what is it about Easter? What can we remember? What can we learn? What can we reflect on? This Easter. And so today I want to take just the next kind of 30 minutes to talk about why I think Easter matters and how we can intentionally engage with what God is doing this Easter. Is that all right? It's good. Our our theme this Easter is Hope is Here, uh, which, if you're sharp, you may remember our theme last Easter was Hope is Here, right? Because kind of the theme of Easter is Hope is Here. It's kind of what we're all about. It's kind of the big deal. It's kind of what's happening. And so today I want to I share a message of, of hope because I believe that hope is still here, that the message of Easter is, is one of hope. And today I think that we can find hope in our despair, in our fear, and we find a hope that comes to us. Yeah, why don't you bow your heads one last time and I'll pray and then we'll, we'll get straight into it. God, we thank you so much for these moments, God, as, as we're here gathered together in in each other's presence, and most importantly, in your presence, as you're in our midst. God, I pray this Resurrection Sunday that that we would encounter you as you are, as a risen God, as a powerful Savior. God, that we would leave here encouraged, that we would leave here emboldened, that we would leave here with, with a fresh revelation of what you did at the cross and why it is so amazing that the grave is empty. God, that we would encounter your love, your truth, your mercy, and your hope today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd love if, if you would turn with me to, to Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8 in just a moment. As we look at, I've got, like I said, those three ideas. As we look at this idea of hope in our despair. Hopefully not many of us walked into the room today in a state of despair. If you did, then I'm glad that you're in the room because it's my prayer that you don't walk out of here in a state of despair. But I know that for all of us, at some stage in our life, we'll go through despair. At some stage in our life, we find ourselves in a, in a deep, dark moment in which it feels like maybe Jesus is far off. And, and I love that we can start in this place of reminding ourselves that Jesus meets us in our despair, that there is hope in our despair. You know, today is Resurrection Sunday, but to get to the resurrection, we have to start with, with Friday, right? Good Friday. We see it as good. It didn't feel good that Friday. And, and a day in which Jesus is, is dead. Yeah, he's been crucified, he's, he's dead on the cross, and, and here we see in, in Mark chapter 16, we, we find Jesus is dead, he's crucified on the Friday, and, and two Marys and, and Salome were, were followers of Jesus, these three ladies, followers of Jesus who, who they saw him on the cross. 
They saw him breathe his last. They saw the spear stabbed into his side to make sure that he was dead. And, and this is on the Friday, right? That's something that sometimes we miss in the, in the Easter story is we don't live in a Jewish context, so we miss the importance of the fact that it's a Friday. Jesus was, was on the cross, was crucified about in the afternoon, kind of midday to afternoon. And so he's, he's dead by the time it's, it's kind of early afternoon. And this is important because the Sabbath begins at sundown. Yeah, the Sabbath begins at sundown, and these Jewish people in this Jewish context, what that means is Jewish people did not do any work on the Sabbath. I share this because it means that, Jew, that Jesus' body, if it's going to be taken off of the cross and placed into a tomb, it needs to happen before the sun goes down. Because if the sun goes down and Jesus' body is still on the cross, it's considered work to take him down, and so he cannot be touched, and he's going to have to stay on the cross all throughout Saturday. And so for, for dignity and for honor, they're like, we need to take him off the cross. In fact, it was actually, it was, it was kind of Roman procedure that you wouldn't leave someone on the cross for too long because it was considered too grotesque, it was too, too barbaric for everyone just to have to keep on looking at that for too long. And, and, and so in this moment, Jesus has died and like, we need to get him off the cross and we need to do something with his body. And, and so just before the Sabbath begins, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who's, who's a secret follower of Jesus and a member of the Jewish council, he comes forward and he asks Pilate, who's the Roman official, he's the, the boss of the area, he says, uh, can I have Jesus' body? I want to take him and I want to bury him in a tomb that I bought for myself. Joseph is wealthy, he's influential, and, and want to kind of, you know, these days you'll buy a sports car, back then you bought yourself a tomb, right? Different strokes for different folks. Check out my sweet tomb. I'm not wanting it right now, but one day I'm going to be lying in there and it's going to be sweet, right? And so he's got his tomb. It's been freshly dug for him, freshly cut, and, and, and it's meant to be for him. But he's like, oh, this doesn't matter. I don't want this to be. I want to put Jesus in this tomb. And so they, they take down Jesus' body and they put him in the tomb and the stone is rolled over the grave. And, and the Jewish officials, they're like, ah, these guys have been talking about Jesus rising from the dead. We really don't want any of the disciples to come and to, to take his body and pretend something that has happened. So they put a big stone over the grave, and then they post guards. They're like, right, make sure that no one tampers with the, the body, no one tampers with the tomb. He said he's going to rise on the third day, so we'll just wait this out, and, and then we'll, we'll know that nothing has happened. And it's in this moment that the Sabbath begins, which, which brings us to our passage, right? Saturday evening, the Sabbath has ended. So Jesus is put in the tomb Friday night as the sun goes down and the disciples and the woman have to wait all day Saturday, all of the Sabbath, they're waiting in their grief. And as Saturday evening comes and, and the Sabbath ends, these women just want to do something, anything to honor this man who meant so much to them all Friday night, all day Saturday, they're waiting in their grief, in their pain, in their despair. And so the moment that they can, they jump up and they, they run to go and buy spices to conduct the Jewish equivalent of a funeral. You had to go in to dress the body, to anoint the body as a means of it's the, the ultimate respect that you can pay to someone that's deceased. And so they have the spices and then early Sunday morning, while it's still dark, really the earliest hour that it's appropriate for them to leave, they head out to the tomb. And they're not skipping to the tomb, right? They're not happy. They're not like, ah, oh, this is the day. Remember Jesus said three days and he's going to rise again. This, guys, it's Resurrection Sunday. It was Good Friday. Wasn't that a Good Friday when our best friend, when our Lord and Savior, when he died a horrible death? Good Friday. It was a fantastic day, right? And now it's Resurrection Sunday. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Have some Easter eggs. Let's go, right? Skip away. Have you got friends that's got the myrrh? Oh, that, was, that was the other end of the story, right? 
They're not happy. They're not expecting a resurrection. They've bought burial spices. They're in despair. How do I know they're in despair? You're, like, you're overstating it, Johnny. Maybe they're just sad. They're in despair. Have you ever been so sad that all practicalities leave your mind? So struck with grief, so upset about something that happened that, that you, just, you, you start to forget to eat, you forget to bathe, you forget to, to look after yourself. Your grief, your despair, your sorrow is kind of, it, it's so big that it takes up all of who you are in that moment. This is where these women are, and, 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 and we can see it because they're so sad, they forget something very, very important, right? They're so occupied with what they can do, they forget what they can't do. They're like, let's go get burial spices, let's go and anoint the body, and then it says in verse 3, on the way, they ask each other, oh, who's going to roll away the stone for us to, to get into the tomb? Like, Mary, can you roll away the stone? No. Salome, can you roll away? The, no. Right, and we're like, oh, it's just a stone. Like, come on, guys. What, what we maybe don't realize is it's kind of an important deal. To anoint the body, they, they have to get to the body. And, and, and the way that they made graves is it was easy enough to, to put the stone over the grave, right? Easy enough that kind of two fully grown men could do it because they would have the stone sitting on a bit of an incline that would roll down into the, the opening of the grave. But getting the stone the other way was next to impossible, right? Because you're having to push this massive stone against gravity up a hill to kind of try and get it to rest. And it's sitting in a bit of a groove. Like it's, it's fully, it's locked tight. No one's making graves for anyone to get out of. That's kind of not the idea. In fact, they're trying to protect the things that they put in with the person in the grave, and especially this grave, right? Like, I don't know. It doesn't say in the Bible. But I imagine the Jewish officials came and they were like, right, so the stone's rolling into that hole. Just make it a little bit deeper. Yeah, just make it a little bit more secure, let alone the women haven't thought about, they're like, who's going to roll away the, the stone? Oh yeah, and who's going to deal with the, the guards that are there to stop us rolling away the stone? They're so caught in their grief and in their despair that they're all kind of practicalities just leave their mind. And so there they are, they're walking to the tomb, and now they're just kind of gutted. They're like, oh, we'll spend all this money on burial spices, and, and now we're not even going to be able to get in to give Jesus a proper burial. We're not even going to be able to do the one thing that we thought we could do. We wanted to at least anoint his body, and, and we can't even do that. The scripture says, but as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The woman was shocked. It's kind of understandable, right? Now, I reckon this is the best job. If you're an angel, I mean, probably any job if you're an angel. I don't really feel like the angels get super bad jobs. Maybe a few of them are a little bit gnarly. I don't really want that job. Wrestle with that guy? No, thank you, right? But this is a pretty cool job. Yeah? You're like, okay, here's what we need you to do. Jesus is in this tomb. He's risen. He's gone. He can walk through walls. He doesn't need your help. He's Jesus, right? But we need the ladies to be able to see what's going on. And so we need you, muscly angel man, in my imagination, right? Angels could be lithe, and it doesn't matter really how muscly they were. Uh, we need you to go and push the stone aside so, so that the grave is, is accessible for the woman so that they can see that there's not a body inside. Right? So the angel's like, sweet, I can do that. And so he goes and he pushes the, the stone aside. And, and then I like to think, again, this is not in the Bible, so it's a little bit extraneous, but go with me for, for you know, importance of the story. I like to think he kind of sits down and, he, and he's waiting for the ladies, right? And if I was an angel, I'd be like, man, every time someone sees me, they get afraid. Like, do I have a like, resting angel face? Like, why am I scary? What's going on? Every time I see people, they're like, ah, I'm like, don't be afraid. Like, am I, am I scowling? Am I growling at people too much? Like, What's going on? And maybe he starts practicing. He's like, oh, okay, so they're going to come in. And they'll be like, hey, Mary. No, that's too, too familiar, right? They don't know, they know my, name, my name. And which Mary am I talking to? Right, what do I do? They kind of come in. Maybe he's, he's in the corner and he's like, 
hey, it's easy on the right side. Maybe you sat down on the left first. And he's like, hmm. No, no, bad lighting, I'm going to move over here, and uh, there you go, now you see me when you walk in, and he's like, hi, I've been waiting for you, I've been waiting for you, I've been, it feels creepy, right? And then they walk in, and they're like, ah, and the angel's like, ah, don't, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. So they walk in in their despair, in their grief, they stumble into the grave and they stumble into hope. Hope in their darkest hour. One of my favorite uh, quotes is from one of my favorite writers, Frederick Buchner, and he says this, the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. See, Easter reminds us that God meets us in our despair, in our sadness, in our grief, and he meets us with hope that the worst thing is never the last thing. But he doesn't just meet us in our despair. If you turn with me to to John chapter 20, it's not just hope in our despair. Easter also brings hope in in our fear. You know, in, in John 20, we find a moment, and it's basically just after the woman have encountered the, the angel, and the disciples are in hiding. Verse 19 tells us, and again in verse 26, that the doors are locked. That's an important detail to place us in, a, in the moment. The disciples are afraid, and they're afraid for, for good reason, right? They didn't want what had happened to Jesus to happen to them. Think about how they were feeling in that moment. They'd just seen their rabbi who had power over sickness, who had taught with authority, who even had power over the weather. They'd just seen this incredible man crushed by the Roman and Jewish leaders. And they were afraid. They're like, if they could do that to him, to Jesus, what could they do to us? To him, and he had power and authority. He, he brought healing. He brought miracles. We can't do anything. If they could crush him, how more easily could they crush us? And so here in John 20, they're, they're in fear behind their locked doors, and, and Jesus appears. And what does he say? He says, peace be with you. He, he doesn't lecture them. He's not like, hey, thanks for, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for staying, you know, Garden Gethsemane, you fell asleep, then they came for me, you ran away. Thanks a bunch, right? Well done, I picked a great lot here. Doesn't tell them off. He's like, come on, what are you, why are you guys afraid? What are you hiding for? I literally told you this multiple times that this was what was going to happen. Like, how much do I have to drive home? He doesn't say any of that. He joins them. He meets them in the middle of their fear. And there's no rebuke. There's no come on, ye of little faith. But he simply says, peace be with you. And it's not just like a greeting. He's not just meeting them with an offhand statement. He's referring them back. He's reminding them of just days before during the Last Supper. Jesus says, we find it in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, Jesus is reminding them God is still in control. I told you that this was going to happen. And see, now the difference between John 14, peace be with you, and John 20, peace be with you, is is the Last Supper, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to be killed, but don't worry, peace be with you. John 20, he's like, I told you, (laughs) peace be with you. But he's showing up, here is Jesus standing in the locked room, and John 20, he has been killed, and so Jesus, who endured the cross, Jesus, who took on the pain and the suffering and the sin of the world, is standing in their locked room, in their fear and their uncertainty, and he's saying, 
peace. Because peace plus the resurrection, peace with the resurrection, peace on the other side of Jesus defeating death becomes hope. Hope in our fear. Because the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. I love as we continue to read through the Easter story how Jesus again and again keeps meeting those he loves in the middle of their pain. In the middle of of their despair, of their fear, because finally Jesus is a hope that comes to us. I shared on this last Easter, and it's one of my favorite kind of Easter stories. In Luke's gospel, we hear of these two followers who have left Jerusalem, and they're heading back to their hometown of Emmaus. They're disappointed, and, and they're disillusioned, and they're discouraged, and they're running away from all they had hoped for. We hoped that he would be the savior. We, we hoped that Jesus was going to do something, but, but it all turned out to be for naught. All of our hopes were, were dashed. And they're walking on their way home in despair and fear and discouragement and disillusion. And the resurrected Jesus joins them. And, and he just walks with them. And they don't know that it's Jesus, and and he walks, and as they walk, they chat, and by the end, they realize what's happened. They realize who Jesus is and what he's done, and they run back to Jerusalem. And for me, it's it's these stories are one of the things that I love most about Easter. It's the stories after the cross. The cross is incredible, but but I love those moments where it's Jesus showing up in a locked room, bringing peace. It's, it's the woman finding an empty grave and an angelic messenger. It's the resurrected Jesus joining two disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged followers and bringing them the good news that hope is here. That Jesus would come for us in our despair and our fear and our disappointment and our doubt and not just come to us to tell us the good news, but that he would come to us to, to be the good news. The good news that there is hope in our sin. As I get the band up, I'm, I'm almost done. At the start of the day that that ends in the crucifixion, Jesus is standing before the the Roman leader of the area, like I said, Pilate, and and it's clear to Pilate that Jesus is innocent, right? Like he's questioned him, he's sent him off to Herod, who's the the governor of of Galilee, and he's like, Jesus is a Galilean, I'll I'll send him off over there, I'll get him, you know, problem off my plate, onto yours, and Herod's like, yeah, he's a Galilean, but this is really kind of in your ballpark, Pilate, and so he sends him back, and and so Pilate's like, man, this this guy hasn't done what they're saying. This guy isn't trying to overthrow the Roman government. This guy isn't leading a revolt. This guy isn't doing anything that, that's punishable by death. And, and so Herod sends him back, and, and Pilate's got him. And, and, and Pilate, in an attempt to get out of this mess, it's also important to note his wife's like, don't you dare kill him, right? Which is important to listen to your wife. So Pilate's like, I know this guy's innocent, and more importantly, my wife told me not to kill him, so I really don't want to kill this guy. And so and, and what he thinks is a stroke of genius, he remembers a, a Jewish custom of letting a prisoner go at Passover. And, and, and so he, he offers them an easy choice as far as he's concerned. He brings out the worst prisoner that he has in his jail, a man named Barabbas. And he brings out Jesus and he says, hey, according to your customs, I can let one prisoner go free at Passover. It's Passover, so I'm going to let one person go free. Jesus or Barabbas, who do you want? Now that morning, Barabbas would have woken up ready to die. Right, like I said, Pilate says, says of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, you brought this man to me accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. Right, the same was not true of Barabbas. 
Barabbas was guilty of domestic terrorism. He'd attempted to overthrow the government, the very thing that they'd accused Jesus of doing. Barabbas, in doing so, had murdered Roman soldiers and Jewish citizens. He was guilty, there was no question. And here is Jesus. What had Jesus done but restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. Here is a man who was killed and a man who has bought life. And Pilate is sure there is no way that anyone could want Barabbas over Jesus. And so he says, I'll release Jesus. I'll whip him, you know, we'll punish him. Don't worry, he's not getting off scot-free, but we're releasing him, surely. Surely this is what you want. And the crowd reply in one voice, no, kill him and release Barabbas to us. So they release Barabbas, rightly, guilt, rightfully guilty of murder, of, of insurrection, and they take Jesus. Or should I say they take Jesus Christ? Because Barabbas' full name was Jesus Barabbas, which in Aramaic translates as Jesus, son of a father, son of a man, son of any man. It's the Aramaic equivalent of, of John Doe. It's as generic as a name can intentionally be. And so standing that day side by side on trial was Jesus Christ, Son of God, and Jesus Barabbas, Son of a Man. See, before Jesus goes to the cross, what the cross represents, what the cross means is played out in full. An innocent man is condemned, freeing the guilty. Because Barabbas is the first in a long line of people who are going to be set free because Jesus dies in their place. Because there is hope in our sin. Because God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That like Barabbas, we're guilty. Maybe not of murder or insurrection, but nonetheless, we sin. The Greek word for, for sin is hamatia, which means missing the mark, like, like shooting an arrow at a target and, and, and not hitting it. The target is, is genuine humanness. It's what we're aiming for when we fall short in sin. What is genuine humanness? Well, well we, genuine hum, we were made to reflect God's image. We were made to bring something of God to earth to express who He is. And so when we sin, rather than reflecting God and bringing something good and lovely and true into the world, we bring something else. When we sin, we simply reject God as God and ourselves as human. We create evil and pain and destruction. So, so why is there hope? What does Jesus' death mean for us? Well, I love it how, how Paul says it in Romans 8, uh, uh, especially how Eugene Peter, uh, Peterson captures it in his message version. He says this, Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem that sin is something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was, was always fractured by human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now, what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. See, in, in Jesus 
God takes on our sin and in doing so, He destroys it. Because hope is here. In our fear, in our despair, in our doubt, in our disappointment, and it's not a hope that's far off. It's, it's not a hope that we need to muster the strength to get to or to earn, to, to somehow attain. It's a hope that comes to us in the person of Jesus. That comes to us through locked doors. That comes to us as we're heading in the wrong direction, going to the wrong place. That meets us to mend the gap between us and God, to restore us, to take our guilty place, to not condemn us, but to condemn our sin. Friend, today as we finish, it wouldn't be Easter if I didn't remind us that He did it all for you. On the off chance that you might accept salvation, meaning deliverance from ruin, Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin. And He's at work within us to overcome the power of a fallen world and has given us a future free of sin. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. God is at work. And it's a work that started on the cross and continues until one day everything is made right. Jesus has done it all while we were still sinners. We didn't earn this. We didn't convince God to do it. We were broken in our sin. We are broken in our sin. doesn't matter how far short we fall, whether we almost make it, which let's be honest, no one really does. Or whether we're more like Barabbas. We've missed the mark. We fail to reflect the image of God to be genuinely human. And in doing so, we introduce evil and pain and destruction into the world. We, we put a, a weight on ourselves that we are not capable of removing on our own. And yet Jesus meets us. This Easter, as we reflect on the cross, we're reminded that hope is here. That the resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together. But, but just before we do before we take a moment to reflect and to remember. Just every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. I ask you to think on the reality that Jesus loves you so much that He gave His life to bring heaven to you. That He came to mend the gap that we never could on our own. And not only did He do that, but that He seeks us out to make sure that we know. To make sure that we know that, that He has come for us, that there is hope. And surely the only thing to do in light of, of that revelation is to respond, to realize we are Barabbas, we miss the mark, we sin. But that there is hope that we are not trapped in our sin. That Jesus has made a way, a way that we cannot earn, but that we can accept. That because of Jesus, the worst thing is never the last thing. That no one is too far gone and no one is too much a sinner. But simply that today the Bible would say, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you're saved. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.